some things have a bad reputation, whether they deserve it or not. My list of top contenders when it comes to things that get bad press includes politicians, fruitcake, pit bulls, licorice, lawyers, and the state of New Jersey. <laughs> and now you can add to that list the book of Leviticus. There are two volumes of books that many children decide at one time or another in their lives to read cover to cover, in the encyclopedia and the Bible. Most of us who tried to tackle the encyclopedia on numerous occasions growing up found ourselves very familiar with aardvarks, but knowing almost nothing about angelfish. <laughs> Similarly, many of us have read the stories of creation, of Adam and Eve in the garden, and of Noah and the great flood. Fewer of us have read straight through the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt, and only the hardiest of souls have slogged it out all the way through the social, ethical, and cultic laws of Leviticus. Maybe the roadblock we encounter is purely an issue of length. <clears throat> 27 chapters is no short story. Or maybe it's that the laws in Leviticus don't seem all that relevant to us today. After all, what harm is there in eating shrimp? Most of us, don't, wear, don't we all wear clothes made of a blend of fibers? And why can't different kinds of cattle share a field? It actually seems like a peaceful, idyllic kind of thing to do. Or maybe it's that some verses from Leviticus have been used to exclude and condemn many among us, and so we fear opening up any of its verses for further study. Whatever the reason, we often end up just brushing aside the entire book of Leviticus. In fact, despite the fact that Leviticus is said to recount more words from God's mouth than any other book in the Bible, we only read from Leviticus on Sunday morning twice during a whole three-year lectionary cycle. And so when Leviticus does come up, I always feel compelled to preach on it. <laughs> Today's passage from Leviticus comes from a section of that book known as the Holiness Code. It's a section of the book focused on what it looks like for God's chosen people to live a pure and holy life. It is a block of scripture that some see as the heart of the Torah. In fact, it literally forms the core of that sacred scripture. Leviticus is at the center of the first five books of Hebrew scripture that make up the Torah. And the Holiness Code forms the heart and soul of the book of Leviticus. In this part of Leviticus, we catch a glimpse of how a people who are bound through a covenant with their God lived that covenant out with God and with one another. And looking past or maybe through some of the seemingly irrelevant or painful codes of Leviticus that hardly resonate with most people today, the gist of this book is absolutely timeless and simple. Be holy because your God is holy. Be holy because your God is holy. So what does it look like for Israel to be holy as God is holy? According to today's reading, it looks like leaving some of the harvest for the poor and the alien and not gathering all of the grapes on the vine or those that fall to the ground. It looks like honesty, rendering to others what is due them, 
treating everyone with integrity despite social situation or personal preference for one person over another. It looks like holding one another accountable. It looks like forgiveness, and it looks like love. And if this is how God calls Israel to be holy like the Lord is holy, then we can learn a lot about who God is from these instructions in Leviticus. Leave some of the harvest and the fruit for the poor and the alien, for your God is a God of abundance who cares alike about each and every one of us, rich or poor, Israelite or foreigner. Treat everyone equally, showing no partiality, for your God is an extravagant God who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Love your neighbor as yourself, for your God is a God who loves the world so very much that God does not hold back even God's own self from God's people. See, our holiness is not about following a set of rules just for the sake of it. Our holiness is important because in a broken yet beautiful world, it's a reflection of God's goodness and God's holiness. In the words attributed to God in the book of Leviticus, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. In Jesus' words from the Gospel of Matthew, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's the same sentiment. In fact, what Jesus is doing in this section of Matthew is reinterpreting the Jewish law for his own time and place. He doesn't do away with the law. He remains in conversation with it even as he reshapes it. And that is how tradition works. Today's passage from Leviticus instructs the Israelites to love their neighbor to care for their kin, the poor, the strangers. Jesus widens the definition of neighbor in Matthew to include even the enemy. Jesus says it's not enough to just treat people fairly, to seek retribution only in proportion to the wrong that is done. One should also turn the other cheek and give your cloak as well as your coat and walk a second mile. This is what being a reflection of God looks like, Jesus says. I think it's worth noting here that this is not giving in to evil. In fact, it may be a form of nonviolent resistance. Well, we are called in our own day and time to, just like Jesus, reinterpret the law. So if what we see in Leviticus is a picture of what it looked like to be a holy community in ancient Israel... And if what we see in this passage from Matthew is what it looks like to be a holy people in the first century Palestine, then what does it look like for us here and now to be holy as God is holy? What does it look like for us as children of God to carry on the family tradition? Most of us don't have fields. Some of us do. And not all of us are in the same position when it comes to money and possessions. Perhaps we find ourselves barely scraping by, worried about money each and every day, afraid that if we were to give up the gleanings of our fields, it would be hard for us to put food on the table or buy the things our children need for school. Maybe our time is so tight that we fear giving up one more night afraid it would mean not doing the things we consider essential to our life. 
There seem to be no gleanings left from our day, our week, our month, to take the time even to walk yet one more mile. Maybe our heart has been hurt and we fear for those around us, so much so that the idea of loving and praying for enemies seems like an impossibility. We don't have that kind of emotional reserve that it takes to love that way. There just doesn't seem to be anything left that can be gleaned from our hearts. And here maybe is where it's important to step back and take an honest look at our lives. In this world based on consumerism, on the illusion that we always need more than what we have, a world where we are living on the edge when it comes to our wealth and our time and our heart, in this kind of world, it's easy to start believing that we can't leave the edges of our fields unharvested. But is that really true? This passage from Leviticus tells the story of an extravagant, impartial, self-giving love, a love strong enough to make even us holy and loving and perfect too. It tells the story of the deep well of God's abundant love, a well that we can draw from when our own resources are bone dry. That's really the only way that our souls can become a reflection of God's infinitely deep and wide soul. So just imagine, what could happen in the world if we truly believed that our life was full enough to leave edges that others could harvest?